what's our focus this year? Relationships, great. If you want to make your life get better, you should make your relationships better, great. And the quality of your life is largely determined by the quality of your... See, you guys have been paying attention. You guys have been paying attention. Right answer on all those was relationships. Good job with that. Um, remember our question. Remember our question. I don't know if uh, Sister Tier back there can find our, our title slide for this series, but the relatable, the relatable slide, if she, if she finds it, brings it up. Remember, I want you to think all throughout this series... Anytime you see this slide and whenever we talk about being relatable, are you able to relate? Are you able to relate? Are you relatable? Are you the type of person that can go through life and have these meaningful and significant relationships? If we want to be relatable, then we need God to do the things in our hearts that will make us the kind of people that other people want to relate to. So we need Jesus to work on us, to make us relatable. And one of the areas where all of us could really use some heart work, not hard work, heart work, is this in this arena of how we see ourselves. How you see God is important, right? Remember that quote from, from A.W. Tozer, the first thing that comes into your mind whenever you think about God is the most important thing about you. So this vertical relationship and, and this vertical perspective is preeminent. It takes uh, preeminence. This, how we see God, is most important. When we talked about that first, that Jesus can relate to you. He can relate to you. He entered flesh and blood. He entered time and space. He meets us more than halfway, and he dispenses grace to us by the truckload. Y'all remember my big shovel? Couldn't get a truck in here. But he, he gives us grace by the, by the truckload. And so he can relate to us. So our relationship with God is, is priority one. But the last time we met, we started exploring this idea of how we see ourselves, how we see the man in the mirror. I'm talking with the man in. There you go, right? How you see you, how you see you informs, impacts, and influences every other relationship you have. I'm sorry, sweetie. I promise not to do Michael Jackson again. I know it was awful, but I didn't think it was going to make anybody cry. <sighs> Struggles. But the relationship that you have with God, the relationship that you have with other people is going to be impacted, informed, influenced by the way you look at you and see you. And, and remember, there's this very powerful dynamic between the way we love God, the way we love our neighbor, and the way we love ourselves. And they all go together. Like, like uh, two ends of a seesaw. If one of them gets out of whack, if one of them gets neglected, then it throws everything else off. So it's absolutely critical that we learn and understand how to proper, properly look at ourselves. Or to even, I'll say it this way, to love ourselves. Because without that peace, the rest of our relationships aren't going to work. And it's not, it's not weird psychobabble whenever we talk about loving ourselves. It's not. It's not, it's not Oprah. It's not Dr. Phil. It's, not, it's Jesus. It's Bible. Remember, we looked at Matthew chapter 22. Let's go ahead and go back to that scripture again. Matthew chapter 22, right? The Pharisees, they want to try to trip Jesus up and trap him and expose him to be something other than what he claimed he would be. 
And it says this, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. And one of them, who was an expert in the religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Big, deep theological question. So Jesus replies, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Great. Gotcha, Jesus. Message received. Heard you. Love God. Got that down. Deuces. I'm out. And Jesus is like, whoa. <laughs> Hold on just a minute. See, I'm not done. There's another piece to it. Here's the rest of it. Because he says in verse, uh, in verse 39, he says, A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, the entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on these two things. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, everything that God has done, everything that God's doing right now and everything that God is going to do, it all hinges on these two things. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. So, yeah, you teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you, you got that first part right. Your primary relationship, this vertical one, vertical one, love God. But the second one, the second part you're not doing so great at because that one is, is the one that you have with yourself and with others. If you don't love yourself, if you don't look at yourself right, if you don't love the man or woman that you see in the mirror, then you're not going to be able to truly love and have a real relationship with anybody else. If you don't love you, if you don't look at you with love, the other parts of this thing are not going to work the way that they should. And we said this last time we met that whatever you believe about you is what you told you to believe about you. Whatever you believe about you is what you told you to believe about you. And some of us have said some terrible things about us. We believe some awful things about us. Some of us have, have said, you know what, we've looked in the mirror and, and we've said, you're not worthy to love. You're not you're not good enough for that kind of life. You actually deserve that abuse. You actually earned that betrayal. You, that that abandonment, you got exactly what you deserved whenever they abandoned you. And as we said last time, guys. That voice that says those types of things is not the voice of Jesus. But we've lived with them so long and we've heard those voices for so long. We either confuse them with our own voice or we confuse them with the voice of God. But that's not the, that's not the voice of Jesus. And he doesn't see you as hard to love. He doesn't see you as some type of project that has to be worked on and shored up. And, and cleaned up a little bit, and then you'll be worthy of love. That's not how he looks at anybody in here today. That's not how he looks at you at all. And the most revolutionary thing, guys, that can happen in our relationship with God is to see ourselves as God sees us. When you look at the man in the mirror to see the things that God says about you. So last time what we did was we started looking at Seven things that God says about you. 
seven things that God says about you. And the first one that we did uh, last week was, I love you. So we're going to write on the mirror here. Just, just love. I love you. I love you. John 15, 9 through 17 in the New Living Translation is what we looked at last week. But basically the whole gist of that passage is you're not a slave to me. You don't owe me anything and you're not trying to to earn anything from me. Who in here earned their salvation? Anybody? Seriously, if you earned your salvation, go ahead and stand up. Nobody. Who in here worked really, really hard and earned your gift of grace? Jesus looked at you and said, Oh, Casey, I'll just pick on you. Casey, you are, girl, you are killing it. Knocking it out of the park with everything that you do. You know what? You finally done enough. You met the quota last month. Here's your grace. Has that happened for anybody in here? Not a single one of us. Well, if you didn't earn it, whenever God gave it to you, then what makes you think you've got to work to keep it? I'm messing with somebody's theology right now. Some of us really, really struggle with this one. Get this, guys. God loves you without the performance. You don't have to perform for Him to love you. Romans 8, 35-39 talks about, will anything separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? I love you and nothing can separate me, separate me from the love that I have for you and nothing can separate you from the love that I have. Isn't that that's just amazing. He loves you. The second one, and I heard from more than one of you on this one. Those of you that are. uh, On the next remind with me. I'm grateful for you. I'm thankful for you. These are the seven things that God says about you. And one of the things that God says about you is I, I, I am grateful for you. James chapter one, verses 16 through 18. Let's just look at verse 18. It says he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits. Old Testament word right there. A first fruits of all he created. The first fruits were those crops that were presented to God as an offering of thanks before anything else. And you, your first fruits. He, he's grateful for you. He's thankful for you. What does it do for your thinking to know that whenever God Almighty looks at you, He says, I, I'm just grateful for you. I'm glad that I made you. I'm thankful that you are here. What does it do for your thinking To know that God is not sitting on the edge of his throne with a fistful of lightning and other bad things waiting on you to mess up one more time so he can hurl it all in your direction. That's not him. That's the view that a lot of us have of him. But what does it do for your thinking to say instead of that angry God, that God waiting to punish, there's a God who's right there beside you thinking, man, I am just so glad that you are here. 
I'm so glad because I see the things that you do. I see all of the things that you do. And I am so, it tickles me pink that I made you. You fit into my plan so perfectly. You're, you're exactly who I made you to be. You're my first fruits. I'm grateful for you. The third thing that we covered, and I think this was the last one that we covered last week because we only got through three, but the third thing is that you are a rare and beautiful treasure. And we're just going to do R&B because it's hard to fit rare and beautiful up here. You are a rare and beautiful treasure. Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 4, Psalms 139, 13 through 18. He only made one of you. Throughout all of time, throughout all of, the, all of creation, the, the necessary combinations of DNA and the trillions upon trillions of possible combinations that there are, here you are right now, this time, this place, and he only made one. Just one of you. And so you are precious to him and you are so precious and so rare that he is willing to do whatever it takes, even die for you. If that's what it takes to protect you, to save you, to preserve you. Now, a few of you struggled with these last week and week before, and I, I love it whenever you guys send me messages. You know, I send my little remind things out, and you all write me back. And sometimes there's some really cool dialogue that takes place as a result of that. But y'all, y'all wrote me back, and you're like, Jason, I, I really, I don't know about that because I, I don't see God as being grateful for me too much of the time. I don't really see myself as being rare and beautiful. I don't, I don't feel rare and beautiful to anyone, much less to God. I don't know why He would look at me that way, and I get it. I've lived it. I. I hear those voices pretty frequently myself, to be honest. But remember, whose voice is that you're listening to whenever you hear those things? Is that the voice of your past? Is that the voice of your ex? Is that the voice of your parents? Is that the voice of God saying those things to you? That there, there's no real reason for me to be grateful for you. There's no reason for you to think that you are rare and beautiful. Is that the voice of God or is it the voice of the mistake you made? That old insecurity that you have. That, that great fear that you have or that secret shame that you carry. Some of, us are still, some of us are still hearing the voices of bullies from middle school and high school. Some of us are listening to the voices of bosses. And co-workers, let's be clear, guys, and I really want to make myself plain. Your creator, your Jesus, does not speak demeaning, disparaging, discouraging words about you. He does not do it. Some of you believe the worst about yourself because that's what life has told you. I'm going to challenge you again. I want, I want you to look. This is man in the mirror part two, right? I want you to look in the mirror from a different perspective, a true perspective, a biblical perspective, a Jesus perspective. So let's keep rolling and pick up where we left off last time. This is number four. For those of you taking notes, love it. But this is number four. Fourth thing that God says whenever he looks at you is, I forgive you. I forgive you. First John 1 and 9, 
says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. Isaiah 1 and 18 says, and I love this one. Come now, let's settle this. Let's settle something. Says the Lord, though your sins are as scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. God says, I forgive you. Yeah, I, I know what you did. And yeah, it was pretty bad. It wasn't right. But you know what? I forgive you. Some of us have such a hard time with that. Sometimes Jason has a really hard time with that. Some of us, we've got a hard time accepting God's forgiveness. And I know why, because I've lived it myself. We want it, Brian, we want it to be hard. We want it to be hard. We don't want it to be easy. It's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy to think that I don't want easy forgiveness. I want it. I want it to be hard. It's true, though. We're all bonkers. We're all just we're, we're totally crazy. Because we want to feel somehow justified in earning it. It's called self-justification and saying it just doesn't work. Self-justification doesn't work. And we think if it's hard, if I've got to work for it, then I've done something. I have somehow done something to balance the scales. But you can't earn forgiveness. Nobody stood up earlier and said, Jason, I did it. You can't earn forgiveness. Works can't save you. If they could, we wouldn't need Jesus. Right? And God wouldn't, have, he would have just left us under the law. You didn't need more law. God didn't look at things going on down here and say, wow, the law just really isn't working. Let me give them some more law and see if that'll do the trick. More law, guys, more striving, more earning isn't what you needed. It's not what I needed. No, what we needed was a miracle to come in and somehow wipe the slate clean. So God robes himself in flesh and comes down here and walks among us and goes to a cross in that fleshly body and dies so that he could do for us what we could never earn or purchase for ourselves. And in that mighty act of Calvary, he said, you know what? I forgive you. Forgiveness is yours. I forgive you. But Jesus, that, that just doesn't work for us. That, that doesn't work for us because it, it's too easy, we think. Well, it's not easy. It wasn't easy for him. It wasn't easy for him at all. But he made it easy for us by making it hard on himself. What an amazing Savior. But what we'll say is, Jason, I, I know, I, I hear what you're saying. I know God forgives me, but y'all help me with this one. I know God forgives me, but I just can't forgive myself. Why is that? Why is that? Why is it that you can't forgive yourself? Why is it that you can't forgive yourself? I'm going to spell it out for you. Y'all ready? 
Note takers, here we go. P-R-I-D-E. Pride. It's pride. God forgiving you. God putting flesh on and coming down here and going to a cross and dying and forgiving you. And then you not forgiving you is elevating your opinion of you over God's opinion of you. And anything about ourselves that we elevate over God, I'm sorry, folks, is a product of pride. So in love and compassion, I say unto thee, get over yourself already. Get over yourself already because you're not greater than God. And because he forgives you, you can forgive you. Unless you want to point your finger at God and tell him that your opinion matters more than his does. Any takers? None. Me either. So God, you know what? Your opinion of me matters even more than my opinion of me. So if you forgive me then I'm going to forgive me. You know, it, it, I was thinking about this a lot this morning whenever Jesus woke me up at 3.15 and wouldn't let me go back to sleep. For, for a lot of us, and I'll even say for me at times past, the comfort of self-condemnation is more appealing than the unknown that waits on the other side of forgiveness. Did you catch that? For a lot of us, the comfort of, of living in, in self-condemnation is more appealing than the unknown that waits on the other side of forgiveness. See, I, I, know, I know this tune. See, the implication of forgiveness, court, is freedom. And freedom scares some of us to death. It's like the convict that we've heard about that's been in prison so long, he or she doesn't know how to function on the outside world. And so if they get out, they do something on purpose to go back to prison because that confinement, that Restriction is more comfortable than the freedom that they have on the outside. If I'm forgiven, then that means I'm free. And if I'm free, oh my Lord, what do I do now? If I'm really free, what, what do I do? What's going to be expected of me? And that right there, guys, that is a serious flaw in our thinking because we're waiting on Jesus. It's like we, we wait our whole lives on Jesus to tell us the fine print. We're like waiting on the shoe to drop. Scared to live because of what might be in the contract. Scared to live free. Scared to live forgiven because of what might be written in the fine print of this contract that we have with Jesus. But Jesus already told you there, there is no fine print. There's not another shoe to drop. 
There's not some type of exclusion clause written into the contract anywhere. I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. I just want you to live, and I want you to live abundantly. So come out of the condemnation prison and come into the freedom of forgiveness and live. And live. All right, number five. I'm going to explain that. I'm holding you to a high standard. But I'm going to give you grace and mercy in appropriate ways. I'm holding you to a high standard. But I'm going to give you grace and mercy. In ways that are appropriate. High standard. With grace and mercy. Psalms 103 verse 14 says. He knows our frame. And he remembers that we're only dust. He knows that about us. He's not expecting you to be perfect. Isaiah 40 and 30 says, even the youths grow tired and weary. And the young will stumble and fall. He knows we're going to mess up. He knows we're going to. He knows that even the strongest of us are going to stumble and fall sometimes. That's important to know because he's, he's going to hold He's going to hold us to a high standard. He doesn't say, oh, look, don't don't you worry about it. Steve, don't worry about it, man. You've been divorced seven times. Look, go for 10. Shoot for double digits, man. It's okay. Don't worry about it. No. He's going to hold you to a high standard because you're his. Right. You've got the DNA of God Almighty flowing inside of you. His spirit is living in there. Right. You're his. He's going to say, become like Christ. That's the high standard. Become like Christ. Standard. High. Here. 1 Corinthians 11 and 1. Paul said, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. This one really nails it down. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. High standard. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. There's the grace and mercy part. A pleasing aroma to God. That's a high standard, but there's grace and mercy for you too. If you do stumble, and you will. If you do mess up, and you will. I'm not going to throw you off the bus. That's the grace and mercy part. I'm going to give you grace and mercy in appropriate ways because you're made out of dust and I understand it. Why do I understand it? Because I lived it. Because I put on flesh and blood and entered time and space. I met you more than halfway. I can relate to you. I know what it's like. Not only did I make you, but I live like you live. So I get it. So there's a high standard because you're mine. But there's grace and mercy because I can relate to you. And high standards and grace and mercy are important because the next thing that God says to you is this. Number six. You have a very special calling. My handwriting is getting worse. The farther down the mirror we go. You have a very special calling on your life. Nobody gets to go sit in a cubicle today. 
Nobody gets to phone it in today. Everybody is going to an anointed appointment. Everybody here is fulfilling a divine design today. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. Good. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward. Here we go again for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So we could do the good things he planned for us long ago. You have a very special calling. On your life. That's not good enough for you. How about the words of Jesus? John 15 and 16 says, this is Jesus talking. He says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Watch this. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. So the father will give you whatever you ask for using mine. I appointed, I chose you and I appointed you. You've got a special calling on your life. And finally, I love this, this passage in the message. Check this out. Ephesians 1, 11 through 12 says it's in Christ that we find, find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. Wow. Almighty God looks at you and says, I've got something special for you to do. I've got something that only you can do because there's only one of you. And I only made one of you throughout all of time. There's only going to be one of you. So come work with me. Let me work through you. I've got something really special that I want to do with you. If God says that about you. If God is the one saying that about you, what are you doing riding the pine, man? What are you doing sitting the bench? What are you doing just existing? If life is get up, eat, go to work, eat, come home, eat, go to sleep, wake up, eat, church. Come on, man. What are you doing? Where's the calling? Where's where's the purpose? It just might solve some of the issues that we have looking in the mirror. If we would discover, develop and deploy our God design. The reason why some of you lack passion is because you lack purpose. If you find some purpose for the things that God has wired into you, there would just be this fire burning in you and you'd have no idea where it came from. You figure out what you're here for and it'll change the way that you see the man in the mirror. I promise you that. Number seven. Oh, here we go. God says. I believe in you. I believe in you. I'm going to have to go a little bit around the track to get to this one. Y'all hang with me. Let's look at John 1 and 12 it says, but to all who believed him and accepted him. He gave the right to become what? 
children of God. 1 John 3, 1 through 2 says, See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His what? And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know Him. Dear friends, we are already God's what? Children. But He has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears, but we do know that we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He truly is. So Scripture tells us, Scripture tells us that we are the children of God. How many of you in here today have kids? You believe in your children, right? You cheer them on, don't you? Let me show you something else. This is where the curveball comes. James chapter 1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. For, when you, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So, okay, children, we're children of God. We believe in our kids. So why are we talking about this part about building faith and endurance and trials coming and we're supposed to look at it with joy? Jason, what, are, what in the world are you talking about? How many of you have, if you don't have children of your own, then maybe you've been around small children. How many have ever let your kids struggle with something? Challenged him or her to toddle toward you a little bit farther than what they really thought they were capable of. Yeah? Giving them a job to do that was a little bit beyond what they might really be capable of. Daddy's out here painting the house. Oh, you're going to come help daddy? Why do you do that? Why do you do that with a little kid? Come on, come on, walk. Come on, you can do it. And you're backing up. You dirty dog, you're backing up. They're trying to come to you and you're backing up. Making them walk farther. Why? Come on, somebody is in rocket science. Why do you do that? Let them grow. To let them experience something. That kid doesn't need to be slapping paint on the wall of your house. You're going to have to go back and clean it up. But why do you do so they'll have an experience with something that will broaden their horizon, show them some things that they didn't see and understand before. And so they will grow. So they'll experience something that will benefit them. Because you love seeing them do something that they haven't done before. And what was your attitude toward them whenever they did it? Was it, come on, come on, you can do it. Come on, you're doing a great job. You're helping daddy so much. You're mommy's little helper. Yes, you are. Right? Or were you, you better not mess up. You better not fall, because if you fall, you're on your own. You're going to have to pick yourself up out of that mess. 
you better not drop a single drop. You're going to help daddy, but you better not drop any paint. If you drop a single drop of paint. The I hope you weren't that way. Why would we think that our heavenly father is worse toward us than we are toward our own children? I cleared this with Ethan earlier. I got permission to do this. He started working out with me a few weeks ago and got a little workout routine that we'll go through in the backyard and he really struggles with pull-ups. And pull-ups are hard. They, 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 they put all kinds of tension on your shoulders, and, and the motion starts with some very small muscles in your back that you, you really don't use until you start doing pull-ups. Pull-ups, they're, they're, they're tough on you. And the, the really hard thing about pull-ups is the only way to get better and to be able to do more pull-ups is to do pull-ups. And he, he's out there and he is killing it with everything else. I've been so proud of him because we're working out outside and it's hot and it's humid and we're sweating like dogs. And he is just, I mean, he is out there giving it everything he's got. And he's working hard. But with pull-ups, he needs some help. He's got to have help. So you know what I do? I help him do the thing that he can't do. And so he jumps up and he grabs the bar and he starts to pull and he reaches a spot where he can't pull anymore. So you know what I do? I just take my hand and I slide it underneath his foot and I just lift a little bit. And he's able to complete it. And so we'll do five or six and whenever he gets to that last one that he does something called a, it's called a forced negative. You, it's whenever you, you can't lift the weight on your own, so you get it up, but then you let it down really slow, just as slow as you can. And so he'll get up there to the top of the bar, and he'll start coming down. And he'll just come down as slow as he can. And it's hard, and it makes your whole body shake whenever you do that. And it's work. And you know what I've noticed? Whenever he's doing that, as I talk to him, and as I encourage him, he works harder and he digs deeper. Because here's what I know, if he'll keep at it, if he'll keep trusting me and if he'll keep working with me, one day Ethan's going to get to where he can do one pull up on his own. One day he'll be able to do a whole bunch on his own. And he won't need me to get under there and hold his foot and lift him up anymore. Because the trial and the trouble and the pain and the hurt that he's enduring with me right now, it's not because I hate him and it's not because I want to see him hurt himself. It's because I believe in him and his decision to try to make himself stronger. Is this making sense to anybody today? I like working out with Ethan. I like working out with my son. It's hard. And we've decided to do something hard together. And I believe that he is capable of doing everything that I ask him to do. Sometimes he might need my help. But he's capable of doing it. I don't know how many of you have ever had the distinct pleasure 
of being in a football weight room whenever there are football players working out. It's a unique experience, and the most unique experience is whenever it's max day. Come on, somebody. Whenever it's time to max out in squats, bench press, and power cleans, those are unique days. And so what you've got is a bunch of testosterone-filled dudes standing around in groups. This one guy who is screaming and grunting and sweating and turning red in the face trying to push up more weight than he's ever done before. And it, it's weird, but it's also amazing because these guys believe in each other. And they are there to support each other. And it's really cool because you'll see guys who attempt to do something one day. I right, just put 565 pounds on the bar and he's going to squat it and he fails. But then the next day on max day, whenever there's 30 of his friends standing around him, screaming at him, come on, come on, push, push. And it's. And he comes up. What's the difference? Somebody is there cheering him on. I just got a little lightheaded. I'm going to tell you all that right now. Somebody believed in him. Guys, this is so important that we see this, that your heavenly father, your heavenly father believes in you. And that thing you're facing right now and that weight you're struggling with and that thing that's causing you pain and trouble and trial, that you don't have to do that alone. There's a heavenly father there with you says, we're doing this together. We're working this together. And I believe in you. Oh, we got to go this week. I would love for you to spend some more time looking in the mirror. I'd like for you to do that. Just spend. Now, this is real easy for some of us. We look in the mirror like, hey, got it going on, looking good. And then the rest of us are like trying to tuck it in or suck it in or push it up or whatever. Just help me, Jesus. But here's the deal. You've got seven things, seven things that God has said about you. And you've got seven days, hopefully, coming to you this week. I want you to say those seven things to yourself. I want you to hear the voice of heaven and repeat it to yourself. What God is saying about you. I love you. I'm grateful for you. I, I, you are rare and beautiful to me. I forgive you. I'm holding you to a high standard, but there's going to be grace and mercy where you need it. There's a special calling on your life. And I believe in you. I'm asking you this week to literally. You stand in front of the mirror and get ready in the morning. Speak the things that God has said about you to yourself. And listen to that voice, because if you can align what you believe about you with what God believes about you, it is going to have an impact in every other relationship in your life. I believe it. All right, guys, we're done. Let's pray and go. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you have said about us. I pray that you would help us to hear your voice above every other voice. Thank you, God, for believing in us. Lord, for the high standard you hold us to, Lord, but for the grace and mercy that comes with it. Lord, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving us, Lord, and empowering us to forgive ourselves where we need to. 
thank you for the calling you've placed on our lives, God, because it gives us purpose. Purpose gives us passion. Lord, be with us throughout this week. Keep these words at the forefront of our minds in Jesus' name.